want to start by thanking all those who make Sunday possible. Uh, our musicians on this occasion, Sam, for leading us so well, and for the setup team. You'll notice it's a new setup. Again, I think they're experimenting with new setups. And it occurred to me when the children came down the front, this setup is probably to allow the adults to come down the front as well. So if any of you want to come and sit here, Robin, Robin Rivers especially, who loves being near the front, perhaps there's a vacant space here. But seriously, we're so grateful uh, for all these men and women who we kind of turn up, but there's a lot of work goes on behind the scenes and as well in the creche, week after week after week. We thank God for that. If you've got a copy of In Touch, uh, can I also direct you to the back page? Uh, there's a little article there that's been reprinted. It's actually to do with the history of Chesington Evangelical Church. So uh, if you're new here, if, in other words, if you've come in the last five, ten years, uh, then you might find that really interesting. About six of the, the kind of core convictions uh, that the leadership of this church uh, have had for many, many years. And the last one is about uh, prayer. And I want to encourage you, uh, during August, nothing else much is happening uh, in terms of uh, the life of the church, but a prayer meeting takes place every Tuesday. And anything that has happened in this church, in the goodness of God, has been because of the prayer of God's people, but more especially the fact that we have a prayer answering God. So I want to encourage you to make Tuesday a priority. Prayer actually is the big statement that we are dependent upon the Lord. And not to pray is a bigger statement that we are independent, we're self-sufficient. And therefore, in the culture that we're in, and the needs that are around us, in the fact that we're surrounded by literally thousands, men, women, boys and girls who don't know the Saviour, uh, we want to come together as a body of God to pray. So please come on Tuesday and be part of that uh, time here as a church. Now, in your Bibles, please turn back to uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And uh, for the Fusion and the JF here, hopefully you've got a, a worksheet, uh, a little sheet that will help you follow the, the service through. Uh, if you haven't got one of those, just put your hand up, and I'm sure we'll be able to... Scott was giving these out, so I'm sure we could find those for you. Everybody got them? That's great. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you even this morning. We've thought of this very familiar image of the Lord, our shepherd. And yet, oh, we can become familiar with these things. Please deliver us from that. If we know you as our shepherd, may we go from here this morning rejoicing, delighting in your goodness and your grace to us. And if we don't yet know you, may even this morning you draw close to us by your word, through your spirit, and draw us to the Saviour. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus and for his glory and for our good. Amen. Now this morning, I'm absolutely confident that you are going to remember this message. I've never been able to say that before, and I've had numerous, probably thousands of examples of, of preaching and saying to somebody, uh, what did I preach on? Uh, and it's a few days later, and it's all gone. I asked my wife that, and it's gone. I asked myself that, and it's gone. But this morning, it's all different. I'm absolutely confident that you will remember this. It's a great, outrageous claim, really, isn't it? But I say it for two reasons. These two reasons are as follows. Firstly, because every single one of us carry around with us all the time something 
by which we can remember the message this morning. Wherever we go this week, you're carrying with you something which will enable you to remember the message this morning. And the second thing is, the message is only five words long. The explanation of it will be a bit longer, but the message itself is only five words long. And they're very simple, short words. Only one of them has got two syllables. But they are the five most important words that we can ever say about ourselves. The five most important words in all the world that we can ever say about ourselves. Because they're five words about the greatest person in the world. They're five words that no matter what life throws our way, that if they are true of us, will enable us to go on with hope and strength and confidence. Indeed, they are five words that if we can say authentically from our heart, will strengthen us in the last moments of our life, when our life draws to an end, to usher in the beginning of a gloriously new existence. They are five words that can, I would say must, be true of every one of us here this morning. These five words were in fact spoken by a man over two and a half thousand years ago, a man called King David. You'll remember, Fusion, that he was the young lad who slaughtered that giant who killed that terrifying giant called Goliath with just one stone from his slingshot. He also was a kind of pop star of his day. He wrote many, many pop songs that were very popular in his time. We call them today the Psalms. They're in this songbook of the Bible in the middle part of the Bible. And his biggest hit song begins with this, these five words. These five words have actually been an enormous strength to thousands of people down through the ages. And even today, this is a remarkable thing, around the world, in every country, on every continent, there will be thousands of people who will recite these five words and the rest of the words of that song. And it will give them strength and confidence as they go out to face another week. So what are the five words? And what is it that we carry around with us all the time by which we can remember them? Well, the thing that we carry around with us all the time is our hand. Everybody got one of those? We've actually got two, but we only need one. Thanks, Sarah. We only need one. One hand to remember these five words. Because on that one hand are our five digits, our thumb and four fingers. And what are the five words? That the essence of this message, that are the message that we remember on that one hand? Well, you've got it, haven't you? The Lord is my shepherd. Do that with me? The Lord is my shepherd. See, that's why I can guarantee you're going to remember the message. Every single one of us, tomorrow morning, whatever you're doing, Friday, in a, in a, a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time. It's so easy to remember, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. This month at Chessington, we're looking at four of the shepherd psalms, the psalms that King David wrote. And they show something of the nature of the God we come to worship this morning. Psalm 21 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago reminds us that he is the all-powerful shepherd. 
Psalm 22 that we thought of last week is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And Psalm 24 that we're going to look at next week, God willing, tells us about his glory and his splendor and his enter into triumph. It's about the glorious shepherd. But today we're thinking of Psalm 23 and the great shepherd who guides his people every single step of their way through life. Now Psalm 23 is the most famous and familiar of all the songs, all the psalms that King David wrote. Many here will have learnt it and recited it as a child. And it's famous for one reason, and it's this. It takes us to the very heart of what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, to be a Christian. It sums up in those five words what it is to follow him, to be in a personal relationship with the Lord. And it tells not only David's testimony when he wrote it all those years ago, but the experience of every Christian who knows the Lord to be his shepherd. So let's think about these five words for a few minutes. The Lord. Verse 1, the Lord. If you look closely in your Bibles, you will see the Lord is spelt in capital letters. Now that's because when you see that in the Bible, in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament were written, there were many names by which God was known. But this is his special name. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Yahweh, it's a rather odd word for us to say, isn't it? But it translates into English, I am who I am. Which in itself is a little strange, isn't it? What's your name? I am who I am. In other words, nobody made God. He's always been there. Do you ever stop and think about that from time to time? It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Nobody made God. An unfathomable mystery. I am who I am. He's always been there. He always will be there. He is ever-present. He is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. I am who I am. And in the Bible, when this God wants to show not only who he is, but what he is about in the world, he uses this name, Yahweh. You may remember that instance back in, in Exodus 3 when he appeared to Moses. And he told Moses, Moses, you're to go to Egypt and rescue my people from slavery. And Moses said, Lord, who shall I say has sent me? To which God replied, tell them I am Yahweh, I am who I am has sent you. I am with you. I am the ever-present helper. I'm the eternal God. There's not a second when I am not with you or caring for you. I'm with you, Moses, just as I was with your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am the close-up, ever-present God. You see, when this God calls the Israelites into a relationship with himself, he gives them permission to use his very special personal name. It's a bit like Queen Elizabeth coming here this morning. 
turning up. Could you imagine that? And she came in, and she comes along, and she says, Reese, Reese Laverty. Or she'd say, Reese, Reese Laverty. I've heard all about you. In spite of that, you're going to be my friend. And you can call me by my special name that only my friends call me. You can call me Liz. You can call me Liz. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Reese would be out tomorrow. Hey, you never guess who came yesterday to church and what she said to me. Well, you know, if you get excited, as you would do, about a monarch, about a king or queen, saying you could be their friend and call them by their very personal name, how much more we see why David was so excited that he could call God Lord, the Lord. That's something 10,000 times more wonderful than even being a friend of a king or a queen. In fact, he's absolutely over the moon, isn't he? Because the king of kings and the Lord of lords has drawn close and personal to him and has said to him, you can call me Yahweh. You will be my friend. I am who I am. I will always be with you. I'll be with you, David, in the good times. Look at verses 2 and 3 that are so familiar to us in this psalm. I'll be with you in the green pastures and the quiet waters. I'll refresh your soul. I will, I will lead you the right way through life. David, I will be with you when the sun is shining and all is well in the world. But you need me. I will be with you. But David, I'll be with you in the dark times. Verses 4 and 5. I'll be with you when you walk through the darkest valley. When evil seems to oppress you. Even that, I will be with you. I'm the same. I never change through good and bad times. So you see, this great God who made the world reveals himself not as a distant deity, as some kind of God of our imagination, a kind of celestial Father Christmas, but this up close and personal God known by his best of all name, Yahweh. Yahweh. The Lord who is unimaginably good, who is unfailingly kind, who is unremittingly just, who is good and unstoppable in all his ways. This is the Lord and much more beside. This is the God that David celebrates and sings about and trusts in. The God who comes near to his people. And if we had time this morning, I have no doubt whatsoever, there would be many, many people in this room who would say, let me tell you how God has drawn close to me in both the good, but especially the dark times. He is God. He is the Lord. But then do you notice, David shows how God cares for his people. Do you want to know what he's like, said David? He's like the shepherd. Remember your little finger? The Lord is my shepherd. What is God like? He's like a shepherd. Now, for us townies, we have a challenge here. We've probably never seen a shepherd 
least of all around Chesington. Undoubtedly, we've never seen a shepherd around Chesington. And even if we go into the country, it's quite hard to find a shepherd today. There are not too many of them about. And more than that, if we talk about shepherd, it probably conjures up in your mind a kind of soft, furry, warm feeling of a, of a kind of somebody who's kind of soft and cuddly, uh, a kind of country yokel, oh, arr, oh, arr. Sorry if you're from the West Country, I profusely apologise. But my friend, if that's the picture you have, I've got to tell you, it's a long, long way off what the Bible means by shepherd. It'd be better to have a, a mental picture of somebody like Davy Jones. This is not a picture of Davy Jones, but it's a depiction of him. A long time ago, when I was a young boy, I would spend my summer holidays on my uncle's farm near Aberystwyth in West Wales. And one of the highlights of that holiday was the day that Davy Jones, the shepherd, came to help shear the sheep of their woolly fleeces and get any nasty stuff off of their body and off of their hooves. Now, Davy was a tough man. He had fingers the size of sausages. Can you imagine that? Not chipolata sausages, I mean pork sausages. Big, thick fingers. He was strong, he was rugged, he was weather-beaten. He had two sheepdogs. Their names were Floss and Candy, as in Candy Floss. I thought that was quite clever. You know, I only realised this 60 years later, this week. All these years I've been going with, the, they were called Floss and Candy. I loved them, but I never put them together. I never switched them around. But those were his sheepdogs. And when he came, he would send Floss and Candy out to, to round the sheep up. And they would bring them down to the dipping and the shearing area on the farm. Then, with enormous hands, Davy would grab hold of one of these sheep one by one. He would inspect them. He would shear them, which if you've ever tried that, is a colossal task, but he was strong. He would shear them, and then he would dip them and send them on their way. He was incredibly strong. But I always noticed this one strange thing. At the same time, he was incredibly tender with these sheep. He was gentle with them, especially if they were injured or distressed. He was tough, but he was so kind. And when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that's the very thing that the Bible wants us to have in mind. Tenderness and toughness. A shepherd who is tough, but tender. Tender, but tough. You see, right from the start of the world, the Lord has been a shepherd to his people. He provided every good thing for Adam and Eve. He daily cared for them. Then one terrible day, they stupidly went against him. They messed up big time and set the whole course of humanity and the world that we live in on a terrible course of alienation from its creator, from its maker. And yet even as God banished them from the Garden of Eden, he showed tenderness alongside his toughness. He clothed them. He provided for them. He said he would 
protect them. That's the kind of shepherd he was. And the unfolding story of the Bible is of God's shepherdly care for his people. So he rescues them from captivity in Egypt and he provides them with a land flowing with milk and honey. But of course, it didn't stop them going astray because that's, as Sam pointed out to us, the very nature of sheep. Constantly wandering off. Constantly going in the wrong direction. Constantly getting lost. Constantly following the crowd. That's why we read that passage earlier in Ezekiel 34. Because there, the Lord who is the shepherd of Israel is pictured coming to retrieve and rescue his people. I search for my sheep, Ezekiel 34 verse 11. I will rescue them. I will bring them back from the nations. I will search for the lost. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Because that's the kind of God I am who I am is. You see, when David calls the Lord his shepherd, he's not inventing a new idea. Far from it. It's at the very heart of the God who reveals himself to us in the Bible. And of course, it's not just Israel that go astray. The sad truth is, as Isaiah once put it, we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. From our earliest years, that's our nature when it comes to the God who made us and provides for us. Every single one of us innately rejects God, declares independence, says we're going to go our own way. That's the reason why in the fullness of time, Jesus, God's son, came to earth. In his own words, I came to seek and to save the lost. Men, women, boys and girls who've wandered off, wandered far away from me. And the gospels are replete with that kind of image, aren't they? The lost sheep, the good shepherd, who lays down his life. The whole notion and idea of this shepherd is at the very heart of who God is and what he's about in the world. And I find it amazing as well and encouraging that this man David, who gave us this most wonderful of psalms that has enriched the life of literally millions of people down through the ages, is the same one who knew that he needed a shepherd. Because an awful time came when this king, this king of Israel, whose job was to shepherd Israel, to be God's representative to them, to show them God's love and kindness and constancy. And David had done that for many years. But a terrible day came when he spotted a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And he decided he wanted this woman for his own, even though she was somebody else's wife, even though she was actually the wife of a man called Uriah, who was one of the generals in David's army, who was at that very moment out fighting battles for him. He took her. And when she became pregnant, he arranged that her husband be killed on the front line of battle so that he could take this woman as his wife. It was a terribly wicked thing to do. Adultery and murder. And he thought he got away with it. For many months he thought he got away with it. Until one day, 
a prophet called Nathan came, told him a story about a, a rich man and a poor man and a, a little lamb. And how this rich man coveted the poor man's one and only lamb and took it for his own and slaughtered it and gave it as a meal for his guests. And David was outraged by that behavior until Nathan turned around and said, David, you are that man. That's what you've done. God has given you everything. Everything you could ever desire. And though you've walked with him all those years, a time came when you fell and you've tried to hide that. You can't hide it from God. David, you are that man. And you know, that incident, terrible though it was, gave us another wonderful song. It's Psalm 51. Which David wrote in his brokenness, confronted by his sin, recognizing the awfulness of what he's done. He says, Lord, against you and you alone, I've done evil in your sight. Please forgive me. He knew full well only the Lord could forgive him. Only the Lord could restore his soul. Only the Lord, the good shepherd, who had laid down his life for the sheep, could rescue him. So can you see that when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, it has a profound implication and resonance in his life. The Lord, I am who I am, who guide you all the days of your life. I am your Lord. And even when you're stupid, David, even when you're rebellious, even when you're greedy and selfish and self-serving and go from me, such is my love for you, I will confront you with that in order to bring you back to myself. The Lord, says David, is my shepherd. But let's think of those two little words as we finish. The Lord is my shepherd. David didn't know when he wrote this psalm that hundreds of years later, one of his descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come on a rescue mission as the good shepherd. Not just for the Israelites, but as we read in Ezekiel, for all the nations. It means that everybody in the world is in God's sight on his radar and he wants to bring them into a relationship with himself. Men, women, boys and girls from every nation. And Jesus, as we saw last week in Psalm 22, laid down his life at immeasurable cost, at God-forsakenness, in order that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus is the shepherd. Like David, we must know that he alone can forgive and restore. Martin Luther, that old German reformer, once said, Christianity, the essence of Christianity is a personal pronoun. That's a bit literate, isn't it? But it simply means you can say it's mine. The Lord is mine shepherd the Lord is my shepherd so friends here this morning no matter what age you are fusion JF right through to the oldest person here even people older than me can you say that 
Is God up close and personal in your life? Can you say with authenticity, the Lord is my shepherd? You see, the first five words of this glorious psalm implicitly ask the most important questions of life. Who am I? As a human being, who am I? Indeed, what am I doing here on earth these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? What's at the end of life? Is there justice in the world? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is indeed there a God? And if so, what is he like? What's he require of me? Do you see that they're all implicitly in these five words? He is the Lord who made us who knit us together in our mother's womb, who, who determines when we should be born and when we will die. But more even than that, he is the God who's entered this world in his son, the Lord Jesus, to be our rescuer, to be our shepherd, to restore us to himself, that we might know him not simply in this life, but forever. But if you can't answer those questions, you are aren't you, when you think about it, by definition lost. If I, could, if I say to you, well, what are you doing? What's life about? What happens after life? If we can't answer questions like that, we are lost, which is the whole point of the Bible. God shows us. He reveals himself to us. Not that we stumble about in the dark, but actually we can come into the light. Because the one who made us, the creator, knows what life is about, knows why he's made us, knows what he's doing with us. I told you it was a simple message. The Lord is my shepherd. Five most important words in the English language. Can you say them about yourself? Fusion. JF, but fusion especially. I knew a seven-year-old who once said to his dad, Dad, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want Jesus to be my shepherd. I want to be a Christian. What do I do? His dad said, tell the Lord that. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to accept you. Ask him to be your shepherd. And if that seven-year-old was here this morning, he would tell you just that. As it is, he isn't. He's away on a camp telling other young people and children about the good shepherd. But maybe like him, you could say today, if you haven't done so already, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. On your worksheet, there's a little prayer, isn't there, that you could use. Why don't you think about that with mum and dad later in the day? But adults here, whatever our age, we must be able to say these five words. In so doing, know the joy of sins forgiven. Whatever we've done, paid for by Christ at Calvary. The good shepherd who shepherds us with his Two sheepdogs, not candy and floss, but rod and staff. He disciplines us, he guides us. It's his way of caring for us, 
He's passionate about getting us across the finishing line. But can you say that? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? It may be you've been coming to the center for a little while now. You've been enjoying some of the clubs that are on offer here. And it's great that you've come. But you know the reason why the Christians in this church run all the events they do is that they passionately love you and want you to be able to say this for yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you do that? If not, you're in a terrible place. Terrible place. Because God has revealed himself. And you see, our hearts are essentially like David's when he sinned. We want to push God away. But God won't be pushed away. And perhaps God has been organizing the events and circumstances of your life to bring you to this very point. Don't push him away anymore. Say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. I want to trust in the Lord Jesus who died on Calvary to make me right with you. I want to commit my life, my days to you. I want to know that when I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Not in some nebulous way, but you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can you say that? And Christian here, maybe... In recent days, like David, you may have fallen into grievous sin. Something only you know about. But the Lord knows about it. And it troubles you. And I dare to believe that God has you here this morning. That you might hear afresh of the Good Shepherd. Who came even to a man who committed adultery and murder. And said to him, David, you've been incredibly Wicked and awful. An absolute shame to yourself and to your family. But I have laid down my life for you. I am your good shepherd. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will lead you in paths of righteousness. For my glory. For my name's sake. And David's response, Lord, where else have I to go? Forgive me for my foolishness. Forgive me for my sin. I come back to you today. Is there somebody in this room? That's exactly the position you're in. He calls you back. Repent. Come back. Be restored. And for all of us who know Christ, remember these five words. Remember them through the week. Remember them through the months and the years. Speak them to yourself every day. It's not a bad thing to do, is it? Because it reminds you who you are and who God is. The ever-present shepherd who's passionately loved you in order to bring you to himself forever. What a God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We have these beautiful words. And yet, when we press them a bit, when we think about especially our lives, we're so conscious that we are sheep. We instinctively, even if we're yours, want to go our own way. Please forgive us. 
please help us to stay close to the great shepherd every day, every step of our life through this world. Please help us to know those lovely still waters, those green pastures. If, Father, we are indeed like David, those who've gone far from you, help us to know that nobody is too far from you, that in your love and mercy you draw us back to yourself. And if, Father, we don't yet know you, Lord God, we pray that even today, by your Holy Spirit, you would prize open our hearts, humble us, that we might have to be truly sorry for our pride and enable us to turn and know you for ourselves, up close and personal. We ask this, Lord, for your glory's sake and indeed for our eternal good. Amen.